0: Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. The first major of the year is upon us. The Australian Open is here. And since 1990, today's guest has been present for 28 editions as a player, a coach, and a broadcaster. He grew up in Oakland, California, where at three years old, he was given a racket and a wall to practice on, battled it out in the juniors, and after a brief but significant college experience, rose to number four in the world, posting wins over world number one's Boris Becker, Stefan Edberg, John McEnroe, and Pete Sampras, to name a few. As a coach, he guided Andre Agassi to six major titles, and Andy Roddick to his only major. He's our most prolific guest, and we are just pumped to have him for this special pre-Grand Slam episode. ESPN's Brad Gilbert is going to tell us where you can find the racket Rafa Nadal used in the historical 2008 Wimbledon Final. He explains what it's like to be the youngest of three tennis-playing children, and shares his hopes for the 2020 tennis season. We met up with Brad at the Malibu Racquet Club and jumped right into the first set of our usual five-set format, the Off the Court Report. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. What, what have you been up to um, in this, you know, sort of holiday time coming into the Top of the year. Anything
1: interesting? 6'1", 179, about the same height and weight as I was when I was about 24. Um, Knock on wood, just I've been here in Malibu a lot. It's been really nice. Um, And I've been trying to do this app on your phone. It's like a little health app. And I've been all of a sudden, like, kind of, wife says I get a a little bit obsessed about everything, but I I was doing about 10,000 steps a day. And I was like, I got to get more. So I've been doing now for about the last 45 days, I've been doing between 17 and almost 20 a day. So I've been walking like eight, nine miles a day, you know. So just not that taxing, but that's been my groove lately. A lot of walking on the beach with the dogs. Walking on the beach with the dogs, eight miles a day. Yeah, like I do like three, four times a day. Depends on low tide, high tide. Sometimes you've got to go up higher, off the beach. But I've been trying to, like, that's been my thing. I'm going to try to do a lot more walking. A lot more walking.
0: Now, um, I have to tell you, I, I didn't quite realize it, but BG Tennis Nation is a tennis store. You didn't know that? Well, I, I, I just assumed it was your Twitter handle, but it's, it's a
1: store. That's the name of your store. Yeah, that's... Explain that. that. I, you know what? I've always loved tennis shops. And I think as a kid, when I was like when I was like eight or nine years old, there used to be this w- one tennis shop uh, in Oakland. I think it was called George Rice Tennis Shop, and it was right o- off on Lake Merritt. And like whenever you weren't playing, it, it seemed like. That was kind of a mecca where people were, you know, you'd see some people hand stringing their rackets or that, that, you know, that would kind of be the place. And one of the first places that I did work at when I was like 15 was a tennis shop. And and I always kind of had this in the back of my mind maybe one day I'd like to have a tennis shop. And so now we we started this about 14 years ago with a guy, literally, that I played. His name is Devin Scongers. I was, first time we played, we played in maybe a quarters or semis of a tournament. He says I won. I was seven, he was eight. Childhood friend. And can you believe it now? He's, he's 59, I'm 58. We went off, we were high school teammates all four years of high school. Uh, so we had the shop and it's been fun. What's the, what's the biggest selling apparel? Um, Well, we're way more about rackets, stringing, balls, shoes. Apparel is last for us. A lot but, apparel is but last. But the clash has been hot lately. It's been a huge seller for for kids, adults. Babolat's constant, uh, Nike for shoes, and then you know uh, Asics for shoes. But but those are the areas that we're most in: restring jobs, rackets. Um, shoes, and you know what else too? We have a big demo program. So people can kind of try things out. And so it's been fun, 14 years, and it, it, listen, uh, we, it, it's like a mom and pop shop. We're just a one-off shop in a big strip mall. Uh, and you know, you compete obviously, you know, against these behemoths online. Is there any
0: cool stuff in the shop? Is there any, like, like trophies of yours or uh, any cool photos of you and Andre? Is there, anything, is, there any, is there any value in going to check it out if you're in the NorCal yeah, area? Yeah, oh,
1: definitely. We have some memorabilia. But, uh, I mean, one of the coolest ones I got, I got Rafa's stick winning the 2008 Wimbledon where he literally – I had asked him before the tournament. I said, you know, I saw him, you know, at a If you win the tournament, can I get your stick, the last stick? And then I saw him – because that match finished at like 9.45. We interviewed him late at night. I got the stick that he finished with. I've got it in this nice glass frame that I've had in the store this whole time. And a a really cool glass. Yeah, so I got his winning stick beating Fed. I've got got a Joker stick, I've got a Fed stick, I've got Andre sticks. What's your move that you ask him before the tournament begins? Like, hey man, if you win
0: the tournament, you gotta give me your stick.
1: Yeah, you you know, so I'll ask, I'll I'll be nice about it, but I I haven't done for a while. I don't pester people about it. But I have a few nice, you know, mementos, you know. I don't think I have anything for my own playing. Um, You don't got one of them old Bosworth joints? No. No? No, I don't think I have any dinosaur stuff in there at all. But it's, it's mostly new stuff. People, like, young people, like, you played?
0: move into our second set this is the on the court report man uh let's start with the women action-packed uh i'm just gonna say the names and let's just buzz through it first of all serena wins a fourth a tournament in the fourth decade man she's been in four decades she won a tournament well, I mean, what do you say about that
1: I mean, her and her sister's longevity. It, I mean, it's I mean, it's crazy. I mean, she played Venus played in '94, Oakland. I think Serena turned pro in '96. I mean, they've been around forever, and their excellence um, continuing on is crazy. Um, she's mad. been in four of the last eight Slam finals. Um, and I think coming into this Melbourne. You know, with the win under her belt in Auckland, I, I think that obviously we, we don't know the draw yet. So the the women's field is a lot more stacked than the men's. So we have to, you know, assume she's a favorite for now.
0: Well, 200 percent. But what, 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 what would you say about her quality in during Auckland? I know you had to have had your eye on some of that tennis.
1: Um, I always like to. I mean, I'm only watching that on the TV. So. Like, as soon as I get to Melbourne, you know, I always like a couple of days before the tournament, like to drift over the practice courts. Watch practice, and then I watch the first round. So I, I call it more the eye test in person, but obviously what I saw, she looked really good. Um, and I, I think that had to do with her confidence a world of good. But I, I still think though, with the women's though, we could get a loaded quarter. We could get a loaded half. There's so many that, I still think there's eight, ten that could win it. So maybe of those eight, ten, maybe we happen to get three or four in one quarter, or six in one. You know, so it could be some tough navigations as we don't know the draw yet. I did not
0: see it because it was at four in the morning on the West Coast. So I mean, it was late. But apparently, Naomi Osaka served for the match in the semis against Pliskova. Um, and Pliskova, I mean, the quality was massively high. Pliskova defended her title. Um, do you have any observations about Pliskova, about Osaka coming into next week?
1: Well, Osaka has definitely turned her game around in, in the fall. She had a really good fall after kind of struggling, a little bit of a knee thing. And obviously, the coaching changed. She was never the same now has a new coach um she looks like she's playing a lot better new Uh, coach it's Wim for yeah he's been with like (laughs) four or five good players like the last four or five years he seems to you know one year one year one year so uh, it'll be interesting to see how their their partnership goes but she's definitely back in the mix i'll put her as one of definitely one of the ten favorites i'm not sure you know obviously like i said i need to see the women's draw I'm not sure that I'm ready to say that somebody that hasn't won a slam is gonna win this slam. Meaning, uh, a snake Plushkova. I call her a snake for snake Plushkin. Uh, sh- um, Plushkova, uh, S- Svidolina, like a keys, you, you know. He, um Boy, Serena just took her to the woodshed, but but I really like her moving forward. Um, you know, uh,
0: Jeannie Bouchard softened up Annie Samova the night before. They went to... 6-4 in the third yeah. and uh, they had a very I, physical hard match um,
1: yeah, I, But still the first time when you're playing Serena, you, you know, it's like probably first time facing Michael Jordan It's like, you know, you, you Jesus. He, he's your idol and then all of a sudden next thing, you know They're going straight through you um, so But I, I think I think the women's though right now is so deep and, and it, it's still kind of like I I, I mean and then the biggest Surprised, you know, but and obviously it's going to be the biggest thing to watch for her the next 18 months is the health of Bibi Andrescu. I picked her to win the Open, and I think if she was in the tournament, I would probably pick her to win it. But obviously, she got injured again in uh, the women's final, not healthy to play. So uh, I think that that even makes the, the tournament a little more wide open. I will say Serena is the first favorite, and, and I still think 10 could win it.
0: Um, what was your impression of the ATP Cup?
1: Um, it was a huge success. They had like 225,000 for, for the tournament. Serbia beat Spain in the final. I mean, you get Djokovic you know, playing doubles and playing obviously you know, six singles matches. I think it's too, too many matches. The old World Team Cup would be two groups of four. So you, you got to win through your group, then you play the final. So it would be four matches. I think maximum it should be is four groups of four, semis and final. So you 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 can't play more than five matches. So uh, twenty-four teams, six matches. I I think it's too much for Djokovic and Nadal, who who, you know potentially before the Australian Open.
0: Do you feel like I I thought that the I thought that the quality of some of those matches was sky high, like where I couldn't believe what I was watching. Has the level of the sport Gone to another place. I feel like I'm watching. When I watch Medvedev play Joker, I almost couldn't recognize, Like not one guy took a step back off that baseline, man.
1: I, I think that the three Team Cup events all were wildly successful. Laver Cup went down to the you know final you know match tiebreaker. The Davis Cup was incredible atmosphere, and we got to see so many great matches there. And I think that the, the cool thing about even though it was only six weeks after the Davis Cup. I think the coolest thing for me is looking over in the corner and, and, and there's kind of like a couched area. And then you'd see all of Team Spain there, all of Team Serbia there. I think that inspires the players. So when you saw the last two sets of the Djokovic-Medvedev, you know, you see both benches and you're seeing the coaching. and and. And I think that players are inspired when they have teammates like that. So I think the level was off the charts. And I thought having three team events is way too many, but they were all wildly successful. But I think that to do it every year, an Olympic year to this year, it's a lot. But to say that the level wasn't great and the drama wasn't great would be an understatement
0: they let you out, it was unbelievable. Tim Henman, Tim Henman, a wild on the sidelines man. Mild-mannered Tim Henman, well, fired it, up. Yeah, no,
1: and it's fired great to it up, see. man. No, because the captains, the players, the bench, I mean, who would think that Serbia would have like a massive, like, the, I've seen it for years, there's a huge Serbian conting- contingency down that, that lives in Melbourne and they come out. And then that is the greatness of uh, the Australian Open that you see countries represented on small courts. But here was a big court, you got like 7,000 Serbians. And when Djokovic wins in Melbourne, and he comes over when we interview him on set, you cannot believe the people that are in the quad area waiting for him. When he lifts the trophy, it's epic. You feel like you're in, yeah. you like
0: you're in Serbia. What happens? What happens at the Australian Open? What happens in the men's side of the Australian Open? Um, does Medvedev, uh, is Medvedev... You know me,
1: I like to be yeah, looking at course. the draw. So, obviously, two two storylines. First one, big three of one twelve twelve straight. Can they continue to make it 13 and keep the streak going? And then you've got the next three, you know, in Medvedev, team, pass. Can one of those three potentially stop, you know, you know, one of the big three or more likely Joker, you you know, who's been absolutely dominant in Melbourne from winning again. I do think if Joker, let's say Joker wins again, it's 13. Then all of a sudden we get to the clay, maybe it goes to four, you know, puts more pressure. But I do think if somehow one of the big three doesn't win and we get a new first time champions, especially either Medvedev team, or Pass, then maybe we have a a, a change. Last year, I I set the over-under on the big three at three and a half. And I really thought, okay, it's going to be four. This year, I'm certainly not concrete and like that, where I'm going to say it's going to be three and a half, and I expect it to be four. I I actually think that I'll be surprised if one of those three does not win a slam in 2020.
0: Yeah, I th- I I I guess I'm, I'm curious to know if you have any interesting information about Zverev. He's um, been
1: he's yip city. I mean, listen, he turned his game around incredibly in Labor Cup, and in the fall, after falling off the rails, he he made it to London. He actually played well in London. He could it the double fault problems. And the fact that he made it in London with how much he was struggling. He was double faulting over 20 times a match in, in Cincinnati and a couple, these tournaments. And then he now He started
0: it again. So. The double the, faulting is unbelievable. Yeah, so
1: obviously that's a concern. I mean, he's still young. I mean, obviously he played those exhibitions with Fed and you know, I'm sure he got some good advice there, but I need to co- watch him in practice, but. There's a bunch of other young guys. I'm telling you, uh, Shapovalov is playing way better. The last three months, especially with Yuzhny coming on board, would not be surprised to see him in the top eight in the world this year.
0: Mikhail Yuzhny, uh, the newer, newish coach of Shapovalov, um, Shapovalov's been lights out, playing unbelievable level.
1: For a guy that's maybe six feet tall in sneakers, I, I see that he just changed his, his uh, height to one. You know, no shot. He's yeah. Line. I want to say he's six feet, generous in sneakers. He's he's six but feet. He Andre
0: six feet, yeah. which is five five. No ten, no no no. Andre five eleven.
1: No no no. Andre's five eleven and a half barefoot. Yeah, he's six feet in sneakers. Everyone thinks every, when I was coaching Andre, everyone always th- thought he was short. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, and same he's about the same height as mackerel But Shapovalov though does not play like somebody that's 5'11 and a half, six feet tall. He plays huge. He's got a massive serve. He rips the ball, you know, so he plays bigger than his size. And he's
0: flashy, boy. Yeah,
1: yeah I tell you what. And when he's on, <laughs> he can bring some freaking rockets. Fire. Let's go into our
0: third set. And, you know, it's funny. We have to pretend like we've never spoken. We've never done this. Uh, This is the part of the show where we talk about your career. Where does your tennis
1: begin? Humbly. (laughs) Um, Do you you just say humbly? Yeah, humbly. Um, Kind of like a conspiracy. Like, uh, my dad, like, all of a sudden, one day, when he was about... You're the youngest of three. youngest of three. When my dad was about 28... He had an apartment building and some tenants left, left some rackets. This is north Northern California? Yeah, in Oakland. Oakland. So he got his first racket. My older brother was seven and they went out and played tennis. So my sister is five, I'm three. And then like one time they played, it wasn't like you could go to you know, Google and find information out and all these things. Maybe it's about the encyclopedia, but I think my dad played once or twice with my, my brother. They got some balls and he proclaims we're, being, we're tennis players that's it so that's it th- that's, it. We're, that's playing ten- it we're playing tennis and then so my sister started to get to play but I was at three they weren't gonna let me play yet so down in our basement we had a wall and then he, he made the the height of the net line and then he's okay because I want to get out there badly my brother's playing my sister's starting to get to play and he proclaims we're playing tennis I'm, I'm like jonesing because I'm not getting to play yet. I'm too small, and too young. So my dad says, okay, when you can make 50 in a row on the wall, in the basement, then you're getting on the court. So within maybe a few weeks, I made 50 in a row. With a real ball and a sawed off wood racket. Yeah, and I'm telling you, that thing was probably like, like, my, I think my dad got me a Dunlop it was probably a four and five age grip. It was probably yeah. 13 and a half uh, ounces. Yeah. And then put a grip on there. And then, but then that, that was basically the start of my tennis. And then by the time, you know, I was, let's say, four, I think, we, you know, we were playing all the time, you know, five, six, seven days a week. Now I don't think people, I, I, I'm certain that people really don't know
0: this, but your brother Barry was a, a was a very good tennis player, got to 400 in the world, was uh, played a South Carolina gamecock. and your sister got to top 50 in the world. She's 40 in the world. Uh, will you explain your, the, 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 your your
1: family? My older sister, Dana, who's 20, uh, 20 months older than me, she became the best in the family in juniors at a uh, younger. Uh, so when she was 14, she was in the, I believe, I don't know if you look it up, you can find out, I believe one year she was like top five in the country, her last year 14s, 16s, and 18s. So by the time, like back in the day, like when I was eight, you'd play the 10s and 12s, 12s and 14s, you, you can only play one division now, you can't play all these di- rules. I mean, sometimes I go play a tournament Let's say I played 12s and 14s, or my sister would play 14s, 16s, 18s. Or i play 12s and 14s, singles and doubles. And you could play like eight matches in a weekend. So you were a a junior tournament playing family. Big time. But we only... Big time. But we didn't go... My sister was only the one that played some of the big tournaments. I never played, you know, any her... Eddie her Orange Bowl, any Jr. You know, I never, le- hardly ever left Northern Cal. My sister did. And, and why is that,
0: that you didn't play? And and what about your brother? Did he play, like, Orange Bowl? No. No.
1: No, we just, we, you know, we kind of stayed in NorCal. You know, maybe my brother did a Pacific Northwest. I played Kalamazoo three times. I lost first round three times. I never won a match there. Um, so you just hunkered down at, yeah. in California. Uh, yeah, NorCal. I didn't, I never even played in Southern Cal once. So. Uh, so you're just playing
0: junior tennis.
1: Yeah. So my, and I played men's tournaments. So my sister got really good. And by the time she was 16, she was really good. And I think in the summer between, where she was almost 17, she won the U.S. clay courts in Indianapolis. And all of a sudden was like 40 in the world. And the dumbest thing my dad ever did was she didn't turn pro. And it was like, then she went like six months later or a year later to play college tennis, which girls didn't do then. You know, and so then when she did turn pro a few years later, I'm not sure that she ever was the same. She got back up to 40 in the world. And she went to UCLA. Yeah. But
0: that wasn't really the move, you don't think? She should have turned pro and made 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 a fortune.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, then all the top guys went to college. It wasn't the same, you know, for that many of the women. So that was a big mistake that I'm sure. But my sister got back up to about 40 in the world, and then she kind of got burned out and stopped when she was 23.
0: And now, and Barry uh, Barry was a, a
1: a good player. You know, it's funny is we look the same, have a similar game, but for some reason, God didn't give him the wheels. He was a slower, he, <laughs> he was couldn't like, move. Oh my God, he was, yeah, I mean, a little bit like Andre and his brother Phil. As Phil was, you know, two hands on both sides, but a little bit stuck in quicksand. So Junior just didn't get blessed with the the the, the good feet. He had a monster forehand. A, I, they, I've, I had I learned that he, when he, but he
0: was a star of South Carolina. He, he, was, was, like a good, a, he was a good college player. It was like a big story that he, came, he, I think he
1: transferred. He transferred from Kenyatta Junior College and then played at University of South Carolina. When he said he was going to USC, at first I thought it was USC. Wow, you were in the USC. I didn't even know like, the Gamecocks. He went to the Gamecocks and he had a big forehand. And no he, backhand,
0: and he tried to play pro tennis. Not, not really. really. You know what no. he
1: did, which was great for him. He played about three years uh, of Bundesliga in Germany, Get, make a little money, travel around. But it, it, his his backhand and his movement were not going to allow him to make the pro tour. But you know, good college player, and, and and you know, still to this day, my junior, sixty-two years old, loves to play. And uh, yeah, he loves to play. Who was 17 year old 18 year old
0: Brad Gilbert finishing high school? What, what, what happened? Who were you and what, what happened?
1: Um, I'll tell you uh, when I when I graduated from high school. I was five seven 112 pounds maybe on a stack of books and There's no reason for this. I mean my brother is six, one, my dad 6'3 my mom's is 5'7 and I was just a shrimp. When I got my first license, 16, 53102. And then so you're a late bloomer. Late bloomer. So <laughs> I finally got a lot better out of nowhere in a six-week period. I had started at Arizona State, didn't work out. Coach got fired before I got there. New coach, I didn't get along. After one semester, I leave, I just transferred to Foothill Junior College. And what do
0: you mean you didn't get along? What's, what's an example
1: of the static? The, this coach came from Irvine. His name was Myron McNamara. Never heard of him, never met him. He comes, so this three weeks before school started, the coach that gave me a scholarship got fired. This guy comes in. He comes to the team and he brings three guys with him to Redshirt. And, and then, like basically, so he from, came stacked. Yeah, and he kind of said that basically that you know your scholarship is in jeopardy, and he's never even seen me play or whatever. So we got off to a bad foot the first day, and I was like, I don't want to be here, you know. So and you had that kind of juice where you said, "Listen, get me out of here, I I'm just, out." I told my dad, "I'm out of here," you
0: That's know, it.
1: in December. And he was so mad, no, you got the scholarship. I'm like, I'm not staying here. This guy is brutal. He does, you know. He doesn't an inspire, and this is a bad situation for me, Dad. I'm out. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, December twentieth, I leave. Twelve days later, I enroll at Foothill Junior College, and that's basically the first time I met my coach, Tom Shivington. January second, and this guy had nineteen eighty and I just called him on January 2nd, 1980. It was the 40th anniversary of me meeting him, and he changed my life tennis-wise. In, we just gelled instantly. Um, and-
0: You gotta way, explain that. He changed your life tennis-wise. Tom Shivington.
1: I, I never really had a coach, and he was the first person, other than my dad, but the first person, because we're kind of self-taught, but he was the first person that had a really good voice. And he he started working with me on the weekends. And he just started, you know, teaching. Well, first of all, the greatest thing about Shiv, he made you feel, and all the 12 guys there at school, that you were at the number one school in the country. Stanford was five miles away, but he made us feel like, listen, you're here, and, and, and so many people go to junior college, oh, I'm above this. Or you, you tell people, you tell guys that you grew up with, oh, I'm in junior college, they kind of look down at you or whatever. And I was like, so instantly he helped me with my game. My two worst areas of my game when I was 18, backhand was not very good and serve was not very good. And instantly coach took me into the shed and showed me a reel, a hand crank reel of Barry McKay's serve. And, and he goes, how's your serve compared to that? And I was like, oof, I need to work on my serve. And then he showed me another picture of somebody hitting over their one-handed backhand and I could only chip it then. Okay, and so then from that day on, we started working on my f- serve and backhand. For, in about two weeks, all of a sudden, I started serving a little better. All of a sudden, I started hitting my backhand better. And then for some reason, I don't know, if there was some magic dust in a I tell this story people don't believe me. I went from January 2nd to around February 15th in a five-week period I Grew six inches. Oh, come on. I I shucks you not <laughs> I Grew six inches. So all of a sudden I'm six one and a couple of times I, I was living with a, a guy on the team I'd come uh, I wake up after sleeping and and he looked at me and he goes, dude, what happened? I was like, what do you mean? And it's like, you must've grown. And I was like, I was like, really? I haven't grown, I, I don't grow. I'm- I I got, you know, I'm the shrimp in my family. But I- it was like weird. I would go one weekend, 58, five, 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 5'10, five, six, and then all of a sudden by March, I was six one one thirty, And then, but my serve started to get better. My backhand started to get better. And every guy that was really good, especially from Southern Gal, I started playing guys that would beat me easily. And I started playing guys and then, I remember guys that I would lose to two and two. All of a sudden, it's almost like I'm looking at the rearview mirror, it's like, oh my God, I started beating guys like two and one, two and two. And I was like, but I didn't question anything from coach and just kept working on things. And just, he used to say, be on time and be humble. You spent one year there? I spent a year and a half there. I played two seasons. I played the uh, 1980 season, and I played the 1981 season. So I played two full seasons at Foothill Junior College.
0: So what was the impetus for you to go? Well, I guess you're done with Junior College after two years. you got to go to Pepper. Yeah, so
1: I took one semester off, and then I kind of wanted to go to Stanford, but back then they had this rule since I started Arizona, you couldn't transfer from one Pac-10 to another one without going to school, apply, whatever. And Gould, who's best friends with, with Shiv, said, man, I wouldn't do it. It's like, I want to, I'd love to have you, but if you go, if you apply, you might not get, be eligible. Coach Gould, Dick Gould,
0: the longtime legendary coach of Stanford tennis, shut you would said, listen.
1: No, 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 he, he, he said, he and said, Tom Shivington our best friends, since second grade in Ventura. They started together in tennis. He said, I would love to have you, but I'm not sure you have to enroll. The rule is not going to get you through. And he goes, then you might not be eligible. And then I already was having a lot of success in October, November of 1981. I started getting some pro results. And then all of a sudden I was thinking about, you know, I had... Coach wanted me to, like, go try to win the NCAAs. He said, you, so I told Pepperdine I was going to go to school.
0: So I'll start in January. This is, 19, this is January
1: 1982. Yes. So I, and I accept this scholarship. I'm going to go. So all of a sudden now I'm having success, and I'm, I'm thinking about maybe I should just turn pro. I'm making some cash here at these tournaments and something like that. And I tell Coach about it. I tell Shiv that, you know, I'm thinking I'm probably going to turn pro. And he goes, no, you're not. You told the coach, you're gonna go there for one semester, you're gonna win the NCAAs, then you're gonna turn pro. And coach just had that influence on me, that when he said that, that, okay, I gotta do it. So then what? I screwed up. (laughs) I lost in the finals of the NCAAs. Um, I lost, you know, this match, it was like, I was there to, to win this match, to win the team, we, I blew, uh, we blew it in the final to UCLA when we beat them three times during the season, and then I blow it in the final and lose to Mike Leach. So it was a great experience playing for Pepperdine, playing for Coach Fox, but I blew it in the team and the individuals. Mike Leach, unrelated to Rick Leach, unrelated, unrelated, lefty from Massachusetts that was a senior, had a monster serve, a little bit like Dennis Shapovalov. He was a guy about maybe five ten that could serve one forty, and he wasn't that herald of a player, but he got hot and he beat me in the finals the NCAA his first year. That wasn't best of five. I had won the match, two matches the day before quarters and semis. And Alan Fox used to tell me, "I I need to train," and I never trained. Alan Fox, the coach of Pepperdine. I beat Marcel Freeman into semis six and six. I crammed for four hours afterwards. <laughs> and the next day, my legs were like beyond like jelly. Too was, hard. Yeah, I like, yep. So he was right. He telling me I should have trained and I didn't train.
0: Now, I don't have any inside information on this. I've only heard you allude to it. Generally speaking, you didn't really attend class. Is that a fact?
1: I attended class at Foothill. I had to, they but, took role. But Pepperdine, you was a little bit looser? a little bit looser, a little bit looser. Plus, I was only there for one semester. I was turning pro. I figured if when I was there, you know what classes I was taking? Tennis. S- surf. <laughs> yeah. Back can. Go over to UCLA and play with Brian Teacher, play with these top guys. So when I was here, it was all about, Turn you know. I knew I was gonna be playing pro really soon and I was working on my game. I, it wasn't like, geez, I was just having fun. I was, but I was really felt like, okay, I'm gonna use this five months to really, to get better on my tennis because I wanna be a pro tennis player. My dad told me, this is great, when I was 10, I was a ball boy for the Davis Cup final, US-Romania. He goes, you're playing, you're playing Davis Cup. You're playing, you're going to be a pro tennis player, you're playing. I didn't even know what that meant, but he would and I wasn't even that good, but you're going to play Davis Cup, you're going to be a pro. And so by the time then all of a sudden when I'm 20 and it's close, it's like, man. So that that was on my mind. So that's why when I was here, it was work on my game. Was there one moment that you that something clicked where you said,
0: "You know what? I can be I can be a, a matriculating pro tennis player, making real, mo- was there ever like a, was there one match? Was there one moment? Was there one win, one loss that you said, you know what, man, I could be a top 20 guy in the world. I could be a top 10 guy in the world. I would be a top five guy in the world.
1: I tell you the moment seriously was 40 years ago, January 2nd, 1980, when I got to Foothill. And I think that my game was nowhere near being a pro tennis player when there was, You know, even though I always thought I'm supposed to be. But that short period of time when all of a sudden Shiv fixed things. And then all of a sudden guys that would smoke me, you know, if I third round of, you know, play some of these guys that were from L.A. and the the top juniors. All of a sudden, geez, I'm playing a match against a Stanford guy or a Berkeley guy, you know, and and I'm, I'm taking somebody to the woodshed. And then I think when I played one of my first pro tournaments, I got a wild card somewhere. I I got to the last round of qualies. And probably the biggest moment for me, I played 81, the San Francisco tournament, used to play the qualies at San Jose State. I had to win six matches in a 128 draw in the pre-qualies. And then first round, I play a guy ranked 40 in the world who? Tim Wilkerson. Good player. Because the tournament was loaded. We walk on the court, I've got my foothill jacket on, and then he doesn't know me, and I tell him right before the match, I said, Tim, we played in the Westerns, open, at some college or whatever, I don't even know where it was, it was before Kalamazoo. He was the legend already. You just destroyed me love and love in about 40 minutes. And this is before the coin toss were getting ready. And I said, today is going to be completely different. So he's the number one seed. And I'm unranked. I have, uh, maybe I have two points. I had qualied at, at one event. And I, so I maybe had two points. He doesn't know me from Adam. And I said, today is going to be different. He's kind of looking at me. I took him to the shed. I think he was so rattled. I beat him three and two. I ended up losing the last round of qualies. This guy, Walter Redondo, was, I was disheveled by that. But I think that. That moment, I knew that, like, it wasn't like you could go to YouTube and stuff like that, but I knew the, the set on the draw, ATP, whatever it was. I was like, okay, maybe I can win some more matches here.
0: Fourth set. This is our fourth set. This is the 10 ball scramble. This is okay. not a deep dive. We're gonna, we're gonna do a, a very Australia and Australian open
1: themed okay.
0: uh, 10 ball scramble, okay?
1: Adelaide. Quirky. It's on the half hour. You're shaking your head. So, if it's eleven o'clock in Melbourne, it's either ten thirty or it's eleven thirty there. They're on the half hour. Perth. Uh, you know, I I mean, have you you been? Have you been? I've only, I watched the Super Bowl there once when me and Andre were going on our way to a Davis Cup match, and we stopped there. He goes, oh, well, let's stop here and watch the Super Bowl. But I, I don't know a lot about it. Um, it's, it's like going from New York to L.A. It's all the way on the other side of the country, and they obviously had a great event, the Hopman Cup. Um, but i never really been there other than to watch the Super Bowl uh, at a bar once. Brisbane. Um, good city. Um, and, and the great beaches like the Gold Coast, like an hour away, a little bit uh, different than the rest of Australia. It's humid. It's a little bit like Florida. Um, and I got one of my worst memories of, I won an ATP title there. My I believe my last ATP title was in Brisbane, but I lost a couple of Davis Cup matches there in 86 that Literally just I wanted to punch through the wall. I put us out of the con- you know I lost both matches and we lost in the semis and didn't get to play for three years later to make the team So still mad about losing those matches on grass Letting our team down Kuyang man old school first time I played there w- Did you play all
0: of your Australian opens at Kuyang?
1: No, okay. but I played a few of them this historic place And by the way, when I say old school and historic, it wasn't like you could find out about these things. You you know, you you, you see it maybe in a magazine a year later, whatever, so the first time you're actually there is like kind of the first time you ever really seen it. And you have these old rickety stands and you know the history of some of these massive Davis Cup matches and the Aussie Open. I think the first time I had a hit on the court, I went, whoa! One side of the court to the other side, you're about five inches of the higher. It's like this. And then when Slanted you- Slanted court. Oh my God. The court said for the drainage. And it's like, they're not green grass. They're like brown grass. And, and you know, the first time that I played there too in the summer, I didn't realize Melbourne was so hot. <laughs> it was like, I, it's like, oh my God. I had never, you know, I hadn't played in the desert. I hadn't played in Palm Springs yet. It's, it's funny as how, you, you know, it's like, you, you can't go, you figure out what the weather is. But I could not believe, for the drainage, one side of the court was so much higher. You were serving downhill. And I was oh my God, you're returning uphill. Uh, Melbourne. It's a great, great sports town. It's a great sports city. And I, I think now, as I'm still lucky to be involved in tennis, it's the greatest groove for me for 17 days. If all goes well, Except for I see now the first two days of Australia is supposed to be cold and rain. Let's say we get the entire tournament no rain. I could possibly be the entire 17 days I'm there on foot. My hotel is a 10-minute walk from the courts and the TV compound, so I walk to and from. So literally, I think you know, I gauge it sometimes that like I can be on foot the entire tournament. It's incredible, easy groove. I can open up the drapes from my hotel and see the courts. Ash Barty. Uh, an amazing year from, uh, if you'd have told me she was going from 15 to one, I- I'd have dropped and give you a 100 push press-ups.
0: Sam Stoser.
1: Been, had a great career. I mean, you know, she's now kind of she's past on the, the back she, Yeah, she's on the on the back nine, for sure. Aja Um uh, Crazy, she's a, a Croatian that grew up in South Florida that plays for Australia. Talk about multiculture, but that's, but that's pretty much multicultural of of Australia, which is very cool. It's one and, and Melbourne's an incredibly multicultural city with lots of different ethnicities. Um, Does that girl have a chance to become an elite player? W- what do you consider elite? I mean, a top ten player? Nah, I'm not seeing. She I mean, murders maybe the ball, she, man. She plays a little bit like Ivanovich, but she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not, not a very good mover. And her upside is incredible, but sometimes like when you watch her play, she's she can lose to herself because she plays so big and she misses. So I, I'm thinking maybe top 20.
0: Nikirios. Um, waiting. Let's move into our fifth set. This is the king of the court. My question to you is this What is your dream tennis scenario for
1: 2020? He's thinking,
0: give it a minute.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you, you know what? I, I think that I saw two of the greatest finals. Back to back, that I can ever remember. You know, the Wimbledon final, the US Open final, seeing somebody like a BB Andrescu come from absolutely nowhere and win big tournaments, win a slam. See somebody like an Ash Barty come from 15 to 1. We saw some things last year that was like, whoa, I would have never thought. Um, so I think more than anything, I-, I root for when we get to the business end of these tournaments that we get the memorable matches. Like last year, like the biggest downer was we got to the Aussie Open quarters. And then and it was like, everybody kept saying, don't talk about the Rafa Joker. It's like talking about a no-hitter or a perfect game. They end up playing in the final and then we get a route. Remember Joker routed quarters, semis, and finals. And then he just routed Rafa. So, you know, or we see Rafa dominate You know, at the French. But getting the chance to sit courtside and watch a match where you don't know who's going to win, like this, the Medvedev match where it came from nowhere, from two sets, and we see this epic five-setter, the epic, you know, first breaker at Wimbledon. So if you could ask me, that's my dream scenario: that we get great, memorable men's semis and finals, you know, at the business end of the tournaments. Same thing for women's. We get to see Serena get 24. How about that? And then hopefully Bibi Andreescu is healthy. And I got a feeling that maybe another young American woman can win a slam in 2020. And then I'm still like, how about American man make a semis of a slam this year? Or better yet, you know, break the drought of, uh, we haven't won a slam since, you know, that would be a dream since 2003. I like, I like, I mean, I think that's
0: a good, I think that's a good way to look at 2020.
1: How about that? That's, How about that? Yeah.
0: My man, uh, when do you fly? Thursday. And and you, uh, do you, do you stop in Sydney, then bus to Melbourne from Sydney? You why take, you, you, why you, you, would I
1: do that? I can go direct,
0: oh, LA do, Melbourne. It's LA Melbourne direct. I'm, I'm like, what you airlines?
1: You, you, what was that movie when we were a kid? Same time next year. You know, it was like every year, it was like, I think it was this famous movie that, 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 that everything would happen a year later. Literally, I'm on the same flight every year Thursday night, get there Saturday morning. I'm on the f- flight back home Monday morning. Sometimes I even get some of the same stewardesses that have been on. It's like,
0: ah, you again. And do you fly United or do you fly Qantas? I'm flying United. I mean, there it is. My man. That's it. Have a terrific uh, month. You are released. Thanks, buddy. Huge thank you to Brad Gilbert. Good luck in Australia. Have an awesome tournament. On a more serious note, our thoughts are with the entire nation of Australia as they battle these horrendous brush fires. We'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review, and congratulations again to Nicholas Pedralli for winning our first giveaway contest. Enjoy that gear. See what Tacchini's doing at sergiotacchini.com. Huge thank you to our new patron, Mike Sidley, your contribution is what keeps this show alive and amplified. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron, now is the time. Head on over to patreon.com/slash-underreviewtennis to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/slash-underreviewtennis. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. And to catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Sean Regrudo edited the show, and Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.